Welcome to It's a Single Mom Thing podcast. This is April McKnight here with you today. They say it takes a village, especially for single moms. Let's do this together. Conflict management, managing the inevitable with power and positivity. Conflict is inevitable. It happens on the daily, and as moms, it's our job to manage that conflict as powerfully as we can. It's almost a cosmic joke at times, given how much is on our plate, how sleep-deprived we may be, how much stress we're under, and yet we're supposed to be able to find our inner woosah for the umpteenth time in a day and help to model conflict management strategies for our children. All of us have different conflict management styles and may even rely on different strategies depending on what the particular conflict is. Some of those styles are default, meaning they are what we grew up with and what we learned from our parents. Some are even based on our personality types, and some may have been learned through other means. In this lesson, we're going to break down three common types of conflict between parents and children, ways to facilitate repair and the power of circling back, and positive family conflict management strategies. Because let's face it, our inner woosah and graceful parenting may not always be available. We may lose it. We may get frustrated. We may want to avoid conflict like the plague. Having tools to rely on to help in those moments is so important to preserving our relationships with our children, to modeling positive behaviors and strategies, and to helping us feel more grounded when things get challenging. By embracing conflict as a part of life, you can make the most of each situation and use it as a learning opportunity for both you and your children. Common Types of Conflict Between Parents and Children There are three common types of conflicts that happen between us and our children. Number one, inevitable conflict. This is the type of conflict that happens in all of our relationships, not just with our children. Inevitable conflict arises when we aren't as attentive, connected, and mindful of the needs of our dear ones. It's in those times that we are preoccupied, we miss verbal or nonverbal cues, we show impatience, overreact, etc. When our children feel disconnected in those moments, they have a heightened need to be seen, heard, and understood, and will continue to seek that out. Here's an example. You're on a tight schedule trying to get the kids out the door to school. You're also busy getting ready for work, trying to pack the lunches, and remind your kids to brush their teeth and grab their backpacks. Your younger one wants to show you his cool dinosaur, which you've seen a hundred times, and you say something like, Yep, okay, we don't have time for that right now. We've got to get ready for school and work. And you continue to move through the morning trying to get all the things done. Your youngest keeps asking and trying to get your attention and may start to act out in order to get your attention and connect, even in a negative way. Here's a journal prompt. Think of a time where something like this has happened. What has been your go-to strategy for managing the conflict? Even if it was to get angry, short, irritated, etc., or what do you remember doing that helped to dissolve the conflict and move on? Number two, boundary conflict. This occurs when we attempt to set limits with our children. Limits are an important part of creating structure for our children, and as we all know, setting limits can cause tension, upset, and an emotional disconnect in your relationship, which can feel really scary at times. This is the kind of conflict that many of us want to avoid like the plague. It's hard to be with the upset we know the boundary or limit is going to cause. You may find yourself wanting to fix the situation 
or giving in or trying to get rid of their uncomfortable feelings. Here's an example. Your daughter wants to have a sleepover at her friend's house on a school night. You let her know that sleepovers are for weekends and that she won't be able to go. She keeps asking, trying to bargain, and you continue to let her know that it's not going to happen. She's now angry, upset, crying, and may even tell you that she doesn't like you anymore. Here's a journal prompt. What would you do? How does this scenario make you feel? How would you handle her upset? Is it uncomfortable for you? Number three, intense conflict. This type of conflict involves intense emotional distress and a significant disconnect between a parent and child. This occurs when we lose control of our emotions and we find ourselves yelling at our child or even further, sometimes it can include name calling or other unsafe behavior to a child. This is the most distressing types of disconnection for children because usually they feel an immense amount of shame. Shame is the feeling of being unloved, unworthy, and not belonging. This type of conflict often occurs because we as parents may have unresolved issues from our own childhood or backgrounds, and we too experiencing feelings of shame as a result of our behavior. Let's check in real quick. This can be kind of heavy territory. If you found yourself experiencing intense conflict with your children, you're not alone. None of us ever want to lose control of our emotions in a way that has us yell or scream or scare our kiddos. If needed, take a few deep cleansing breaths here. It is all okay. We are all a work in progress, and none of us are perfect. You're here to learn new ways to help manage conflict, and that's what matters. Brene Brown talks at length in her book and ebook, The Gifts of Imperfect Parenting, about how resilient we are and our children are and how we can help to move through the shame associated with conflicts such as these and come out more connected and stronger because of it. If you feel as though you need support to help heal some of your own wounds from childhood or elsewhere, seek help. It's okay, Mama. Here's an example. You're in a grocery store and your children are going bananas. They're not listening. They're asking for everything under the sun, and you come down harshly on them because you feel humiliated in front of the people in the store that are witnessing the crazy. Instead of trying to understand the meaning of their behavior and or responding in a calmer way, you unconsciously respond to the shame you feel in public of not being able to control your children. Here's a journal prompt. Have you been this mama at the grocery store before? If there has been a time when you experience an intense conflict, Think about what was going on for you in your life at the time. Were you taking care of yourself? Were you under a lot of stress? How did you and your children recover? Now that we've got an understanding of the common types of conflict, let's learn how we can help to reconnect and heal after. Here are three steps to emotional repair after conflict. Once there's been a conflict, how do we repair the disconnect that we feel? It usually starts with us as the adults first. Getting our feet back underneath us and centering ourselves again. It is very difficult for true emotional repair and healing to happen if we are still angry with or resentful of our children. And children can sense if we are not emotionally available to them and will be cautious in their interactions. Therefore, there's really no space for healing until we've done work on ourselves. Step one, be aware of your own emotions and the presence of shame. 
Most of us feel a whole bunch of different emotions during and after a conflict has happened. Fear, anger, frustration, a feel of being out of control. Now, how comfortable are you with each of these feelings? Many of us are uncomfortable with the emotions we feel. When we resist what we're feeling, it tends to actually amplify those feelings, especially when under duress or in a tough situation, like conflict. We're trying not to be angry, and we're not even angry when we're angry. Poof! The fire has ignited. When we're not comfortable or at home with our own emotions, it's harder for us to give our children permission to express their full range of emotions, too. Here's a journal prompt. Ask yourself the following questions. Are there emotions that I'm uncomfortable expressing or express too often, like anger, sadness, guilt, or anxiety? Am I explosive in my expression of anger? And if yes, what may be the source of that behavior? Do I overreact to situations that seem out of my control? If you're angry with yourself, disappointed, feeling ashamed over how you behaved, it will limit your ability to repair things with your kiddos and could even get in the way of your child's need for reconnection. Shame and the power of empathy. Shame is a powerful thing to unpack and understand. Brene Brown defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. When we mess up, we often feel shame. So if you've handled a conflict with your child poorly and we lose connection with them, oftentimes shame is present and often our children will feel the same way. Brown also says the one thing that shame can't survive in the presence of is empathy. In her book, Daring Greatly, she says there are four ways to get to empathy, something she calls shame resilience. Number one, recognizing shame and understanding its triggers. Shame is biology and biography. Can you physically recognize when you're in the grips of shame, feel your way through it, and figure out what messages and expectations triggered it? Number two, practicing critical awareness. Can you reality check the messages and expectations that are driving your shame? Are they realistic? Are they what you want to be or what you think others need and want from you? Number three, reaching out. Are you owning and sharing your story? We can't experience empathy if we're not connecting. And number four, speaking shame. Are you talking about how you feel and asking for what you need when you feel shame? If you find yourself in shame for how you reacted and responded during a conflict with your child, or anyone for that matter, find someone who is safe for you and who will totally get your experience. They can emphasize with you. They won't try and fix you. They won't try and make you feel better right away. They'll just be with you and show you empathy. There's another important aspect that's crucial to moving through the aftermath of a conflict. We talk about in the lesson, find your new normal, starting where you're at. And that is self-compassion. Being kind, loving, and understanding with yourself after a conflict with your child is so important for healing and the ability to move on. Having compassion for your child is important as well. However, the good old analogy of putting your oxygen mask on first truly applies here. If you have no space and compassion for yourself and what happened, you won't be able to have any for your kiddos either. Step two, the power of circling back. 
Now that you've gotten your feet back underneath you and are feeling more grounded and centered, you can now circle back with your kiddo to help start the healing process. Be mindful of how they process and what kind of space they're in. Address the disconnect and what happened in a way that's neutral, such as, this was a tough morning for you and I. I really want us to feel good about each other again. Your first few attempts may be dismissed, but keep trying. Resist the urge to blame. It's our job to be able to own what our part was in the conflict or upset. Don't try to hide or dismiss emotional moments with your child. This will actually teach your child to hide or minimize his or her emotion. By appropriately expressing your emotion, you will also communicate that strong emotion can be expressed and managed. You are showing them that you aren't perfect and that doing your best so they can understand that too. Circling back helps to open the dialogue back up again and creates the space for an interactive experience for the two of you to spark healing. Here's a journal prompt. Have you circled back with your kiddos after an upset? If yes, how did it go? If not, how do you feel about doing so? Step three, listen intently to your child's thoughts and feelings. And here is where we get to practice our ability to just be with our children. Our job is to listen and encourage them to tell us how the experience of the conflict felt to them without trying to fix, defend, or do anything. Let's say that again because it can be so hard. Our job is to listen and encourage them to tell us how the experience of the conflict felt to them without trying to fix, defend, or do anything. Let's let them share all of their feelings, however strongly, as long as it's done respectively and everyone feels safe. Don't judge or counter their expression. Let them speak all of it before you share your experience of the interaction. Use this as a teachable moment. Again, no one's perfect. We are not going to walk through life without upset, conflict, or hurt feelings. Use this time of circling back and sharing as a way to help set boundaries about how emotions are expressed. Talk about what you both could do differently next time. How we have these conversations of reflection are so powerful in shaping how our children learn to regulate their own emotions too. Positive Family Conflict Management Strategies So how do we navigate conflicts with power and with positivity? What are some ways that we can work to model understanding, fairness, powerful communication, and cooperation in our families? These examples are taken straight from the Positive Parenting Connection and include some on-the-court specific strategies and examples for you to use. Number one, strive to stay positive. Avoid approaching conflict with a reactive attitude and with an intent to have the final say. Instead, approach conflict with the aim to understand, resolve, and respond. Number two, listen with the intent to understand. Take this conversation that may feel familiar. Can I have that toy? Not today, but it's my favorite kind. I said no. Why? Because I said so. Ugh, but I want it. Please don't argue, but I really want it. If you don't stop arguing, you're not getting any sweets tomorrow at all. Oh yeah? What's the difference? I never get what I want. Okay, that's it. No sweets tomorrow. It's time to leave. Let's go. Ugh, I hate you. When the child says, it's my favorite kind, this is a place to stop the conflict, listen, and understand. So this toy is your favorite? I hear you. 
It looks fun to play with. Do you wish you could have something new every time we go shopping? Because sometimes I wish I could get myself something new all the time too. I see it seems really important to you. Number three, focus on cooperation instead of control. It is really healthy and helpful in conflict resolution when both sides are able to give input and actually discuss the situation. All right, what do you propose we do about this? Tell me what you're thinking and I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Maybe we find a solution. I'd like to tell you my reasons and then listen to yours. We will all have a chance to talk, but let's take turns so we can really listen to each other. Number four, give choices. This is particularly helpful with younger children. I hear that you really like the cake and want another piece, and you had a lot already. What time do you want to have the cake tomorrow? Morning snack or after lunch? Which toy do you want to put away first, the truck in the toy box or the puzzle into the drawer? I know you want the blue pants, but they're washing. So how about the jeans or the gray ones you choose? Number five, ask open-ended questions. This is great for older children. Why do you think like this? Can you tell me more about your thoughts on that? What do you propose we do about it? What about... Number six, ask for reasons. Children can learn a lot about peaceful conflict resolution by learning how to argue their point of view respectfully. Practicing with mom and dad is the place to start. Can you give me three solid reasons to support your idea? Can you please explain why this is important to you? What is your goal in doing? I'd like to hear more about your idea. What else can you tell me about this? These are my three reasons to say no. Can you turn them around with some reasons of your own? And number seven, model flexibility. Let's say your child does give you really good reasons. It's not going to make you look like a fool if you say yes. This isn't about giving in. It's demonstrating flexibility. I hear your reasons, and I'm impressed that you have thought this through. So I'll go ahead and say yes this time. You know what? You have convinced me, and I appreciate we all staying cool about this. So yes. Number eight, strike a deal. Offer a deal or let your children propose a different solution. Oftentimes, it's something that is workable. In fact, the more chances they have to practice this skill, the easier it becomes. It's not the same as giving in or letting them rule the house, though. Striking a deal means the solution works for everyone. I can't agree to the sleepover on Wednesday night, but if you can propose a different date, we can discuss it. That way does not work for, but what other ways can you think of that would work? If you stop by Aunt Mary's to wish her happy birthday first, then I think it's fine for you to go over to Jamie's house for the rest of the time that we are at the party. Deal? Number nine, don't be afraid to rewind. If you've started down the conflict path, pause and rewind. Arguing is not getting us anywhere. Let's take a break, think, and try again when we are all cooled off. Hey, we are arguing and it's getting us nowhere. Let's start over. Oops, we're arguing instead of really talking about this. Let's try again. Number 10, delay your discussion. Over time, when we use this strategy, children trust that we will return to the argument and actually resolve it and they learn that they gain more attention by arguing respectively. I will discuss this when we are able to do so respectfully. I'd like to talk about this when I have time to listen to your reasons. 
Let's put this on hold until later when I can really listen to you. I'll be happy to discuss this when we can do it respectively. I'll be in the kitchen cooking. Come find me when you're ready. It seems you have a lot to say about this, but this is not the right time or the right place. So let's meet tonight at home when we are cooled off to discuss it. I see how much you want this and, instead of deciding right now, let's talk about it when we get home. Number 11. Holding Family Meetings Set a time aside each week where you can peacefully discuss issues that are in disagreement. This is also a time where everyone can practice making requests respectively, like asking for a certain meal, asking mom for a ride to a friend's house, or money for school fundraiser, and so on. Number 12. Aim to set limits with respect kindness, and firmness in mind. There will be times when we will need to set a limit and say no, and it can be done in a positive way. I hear your reasons, and I understand it's important, and my answer is no. I know how much you like this, and today, I'm saying no. Cake is delicious, and you want more, and tonight is not the time to have any more. The toy looks great. We can put it on your wish list. Today is not the day we will buy it. Sleepovers are great fun, but we have agreed that on school nights we will not do them. It's my job to keep you safe, and my final answer is no. I've made my decision. I understand it's not what you had hoped for, and it's final. 13. Support the disappointment. If you've set a limit and your child doesn't like it and responds with crying, whining, or yelling, support them in the disappointment. Try to avoid belittling the situation with comments like, Oh, your idea was ridiculous. There is no way you will sleep over at Johnny's house on a school night. And stop crying already. It's not a big deal. Because to your child, it probably is. Instead, try to understand your child may need time to huff and puff and really hate your decision. So let them own that feeling and process it. Be nearby to support them and trust that they will be able to handle and overcome their feelings. Number 14. Have a plan for argument-related meltdowns. If your child is often upset and mad when they don't get their way and escalates into tantrums, hitting, yelling, and hurting, talk about self-regulation and cooling off strategies and dealing with anger at times when you are not arguing and conflicting that will be used if things do get heated. Number 15, strengthen your connection. If you feel like most of your time spent with your child ends in conflict, You may find the greatest changes come from being deliberate about spending time together with the intent to connect and enjoy each other. You may also want to reflect and decide if there is anything you can do about your own attitude and how you're approaching communication with your child. So how about those 15 different tools, ideas, and strategies for how to work through possible conflicts with a more positive and empowering approach? Conflicts are inevitable. How we handle them is up to us. We hope that you're feeling more prepared and maybe even a little, dare we say, excited about facing conflict with your children or anyone in your life for that matter. You've learned that conflict is normal, inevitable, and that each conflict holds an opportunity for connection and growth. Thanks for listening to It's a Single Mom Thing. If you enjoyed our podcast, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to take the quiz and be on track to earn your certificate, please check out sv-university.org. For more information and resources, check out our show notes.